to yourself. We give you this time. We give it over to your spirit. We pray these things in the name of that one who came. Amen. So that was a pretty good video uh, intro to uh, what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Because as Matt and I were discussing this whole, oh, children, look, they're going to leave again. That's awesome. They know what to do. <laughs> Chris wasn't here to remind me this morning. Um, but we wanted to talk about this idea. We, we have a tendency in our culture. Someone, we were talking about this time in between Christmas and, and New Year's, um, last Sunday particularly, where everyone felt, like people were talking to Matt and I about how it felt like there was this time in between, you know, and we, almost like you're, you have no traction. You're kind of waiting. It's like a big breath, which is actually maybe the point. Maybe it's the best thing about the celebration of Christmas in our, in our culture is that we have this time in between Christmas and New Year's New Year's business to just stop and be in the presence and the peace of this baby who we celebrate 2,000 years later. You know, do you think anyone's going to celebrate your birthday in 2,000 years? Oh, how awesome is that? 2,000 years, the community of Christ has been taking this breath and then we move on. But we didn't want to run away from this too quickly. Because we want to talk about this continuing story. You know, so many times we walk away from this manger scene with Mary and uh, Joseph, and, and we just kind of leave them there. That's cute. Now let's get back to our business, get on to what we got to do, and then we'll come back and visit at Easter. <laughs> you know? A lot of stuff happened in there, right? A lot of stuff happened. And, and uh, one of the things that's, that's kind of troubling for me is that a lot of the stuff isn't written down for us. You know, but I know as a parent, right? I'll tell you a quick story. Whenever my oldest son Nathan was born, um, you know, I would—I was a non-believer, okay, and uh, but I loved Chris so much, right? And she's in labor, and I mean for like all like all day, kind of a thing. And 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 at some point um, in my atheistic mind, I begin to break down, you know, because there comes a point in your life where. You can't, you can't keep going, you know? Like, you can't keep up the lie. You can't keep up the facade. Things start to fall off, you know? It's those moments of truth. And I, I, I was a, a brand new father. I thought she was dying, <laughs> you know? Have you been to your children's birth? It's like someone is dying in there, you know? And um, not someone is being born. And so I, I, I decided that, like, we started this at 6 a.m. I, I decided at, like, 11 o'clock at night, I have to get a Coke and a candy bar because I was not going to eat because she had it fast. But at 11 o'clock, she's like, honey, seriously, you're driving me nuts. Go get something to eat. And uh, so I did. And, and, I, and I walked down towards the vending machine. I went to the nurse station. Where's the vending? They said, oh, down this way. And I'm, I'm all beleaguered, you know, and, and I'm just talking to myself. And, and I walk down to get the Coke and the Snickers, right? I'm heading back, and there's a chapel. And uh, God moved. <laughs> I don't know. But I went in there with my Coke and my Snickers. And the first thing I thought of was, anybody's in there, I'm leaving. <laughs> you know, well, the place was empty. And so I went in there, and there was this book. And it was open at the front like this, just big, not this, like a big book, the kind you can't really read, you know. And uh, I went up there, I put my Coke and my Snickers down this altar, and I knelt down, and I just put my finger down and read the first thing that was written down. But it wasn't so much about what I read. Is in that moment I said, I said, please, God, help this baby come.
I had nowhere else to go. And so at this moment, I, I, I didn't know what it, nothing had happened. I mean, I wish I could say like there was this moment where I was like, ah, you know, and the light came on and, you know, the priest in the back going, are you done yet? You know, N- not at all. I mean, nothing happened. I opened my eyes and there's my Coke sweating and my Snickers bar melting. And, and so I took my stuff, went back to the room. I unwrapped it. And as I walked through the door, people are pushing past me. <laughs> get out of the way, get out of the way. And I'm like, I'm the father of the baby, you know? And these people are, and this light comes down, like transformers out of the ceiling, and the, the bed like whoosh, changes, you know what I'm saying? And all this stuff is happening. And then I, I didn't realize it, but they're like, put this head thing, and I'm getting dressed. I'm like, what's going on? My, I didn't get to eat nothing, right? <laughs> Which is the real issue. <laughs> Not really, but you know what's ridiculous? is I didn't even realize that God was fulfilling promises. That this prayer of an atheist, God said, okay. And so, there I go. And, 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 and this moment, I'm, and it's this new birth, and I'm so excited, I'm so ecstatic. And I, and I go home and I shave, because I made a promise I would shave after she, we had a baby, because I had stopped when she was, had conceived. I don't know why I did that. I just, Mary's laughing at me. I just did that. But, you, you know, um, the tragic thing is, it took me about three months of holding and cuddling my newborn baby before I just decided that was a coincidence. That, I'm not even going to tell people about that whole chapel prayer thing. That wasn't real. If I just stuck to my, my, own, desi- my own designs, it ba- the baby would have come. And then I just walked away from this God who had blessed me. I want to tell you, God is so merciful to those who don't deserve it. Do you know what I'm saying? It was nothing I did to deserve God's mercy in that moment. Nothing I've done to this day to deserve God's mercy. And so I just... What I'm intrigued with, and as we start, we're going to start kind of looking at this, this new sermon uh, series the next few weeks. We're going to look at this idea of what did it look like to have this human walking around named Jesus in his time. There are all these people who witnessed to it, right? The New Testament is written by people who just saw this, encountered this, and started to tell this fantastic story. Too fantastic to believe. Do you know what I'm saying? Too fantastic to believe. And so we're going to start this week because um, I know as a father, the point about that whole story is that we end up forgetting the promises of God. You know? Like if you're a parent, God has made promises in your children's lives. And you believe that. That God has made a promise to your children. And then you might say, well, I don't have kids, right? I'm just, I'm just me. Guess what? You're a promise to someone else. We're all part of this story. We're all caught up in this story. And so we're going to start. There's one passage and there's one place in the Bible where we talk about Jesus' birth a couple times. There's only one place where it talks about Jesus as a small boy. Okay? And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you want to turn with me to Luke uh, 2. We have a lot of scripture today, but we will get through it. And I pray that God will make it meaningful to us today. Luke 2, verse 16. I'm just going to start reading. We've been to this place before together, church. It says this. 
So they hurried off, and this they is not the Magi, but rather the shepherds. This is a little different story, but it's the same concept. These shepherds had revelation. They come to the, the newborn location, and it says, The shepherds hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word, right? They went out and told everyone concerning what had been told them about this child because they had been, something was revealed to them before he was born. And everyone who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I don't even know what Mary and Joseph were going through. Now, you would think, and this is the, this is the temptation, I think, on the text, is that when, you know, if you would think if an angel appeared to you and told you you were going to have the Christ child, you probably wouldn't forget right? Or, or if, if a dream woke you up in the middle of the night and said, marry the girl even though she's pregnant and you've never, you know, been with her, marry her anyway because it's God's son. There's like all kinds of stuff there that Jesus came in this way. You think it's shocking in this culture for a teenager to be pregnant? You know, unwed mothers? What a way to come into the world. You would think if you had all this revelation from God directly to you that you would begin to get it through your thick skull that God had made promises he was fulfilling, right? And so I find myself, when I read this narrative, I find myself going, duh, you know, like, come on. But you know what it says about Mary? Look what it says. It says, Mary stored up all these things in her heart. I want to make sure I'm, I'm doing justice to this. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things, these things, by the way, utterances. Every time you hear that, it's something that was spoke, something that someone had said. It was an utterance. And Mary treasured up all these utterances and pondered them, wrestled with them in her heart. Kind of means she just poured them in. Mary doesn't know what's going on with Jesus. Do you believe that? It's kind of a crazy statement, you know? But God was doing something, and even Mary doesn't understand what's happening. Well, on the eighth day, continuing verse 21, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise Jesus, he was named Jesus, the name that the angel had given him before he had been conceived. So someone remembered something about the story, right? This is important. This is, this is the guy. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Mary and Joseph took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with that, with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. This is just to say that Mary and Joseph are doing their duty. Now, do you know how this works? The way it works is after eight days, your baby is circumcised, okay? But Mary cannot go to the temple. And actually, it's funny because it says they didn't go to the temple. So it's almost like Joseph stayed back. He stayed away. Do you know how long? The purification laws in Leviticus call for 33 days if you have a boy and 66 if you have a girl. So depending on the math on this, I thought it wouldn't be cool if it was 40. It has the 41, right? This time of fasting, you cannot enter the temple. And so two things happen. Jesus is circumcised, right, as part of the covenant promises to Israel. But then the parents come, like any other parents would, after 41 days, they come to the temple together. And they offer the sacrifices to the Lord. Now, one other thing I want to mention here, because I was so intrigued by it, but I don't know what it means exactly, so maybe it's a little scary to say it, right? But there are burnt offerings and there are sin offerings. And this 
what they say here about a pair of doves and two young pigeons is a sin offering, not necessarily a burnt offering. Now, birds are used in burnt offerings, but I'm not sure why that's omitted. Like, why doesn't it say they did both? The, the burnt offering was someone laying their hands on the head of an animal, a perfect and blameless animal, so that it might atone for my sin. And I just thought that's weird as omitted. Why is it left out? But for whatever reason, if they just didn't record it, if, if Luke didn't record it for us, or if, I don't know, but they went and they made this offering as part of their, their rites, their worship to God. So, here the story twists a little bit. So they come to the gate, they offer the offering, right, of these birds, and then they're allowed back into the temple courts. So you can imagine, if you have not been allowed, you know someone was saying to me, you know, it drives me nuts that, that sometimes you're excluded from the church community. But you know, I gotta tell you, people who've been excluded for a while because of customs or rituals, when they come back, it's gotta be like, oh, wow, I've missed this place. How much do we take it for granted? We have to come here, just no one stops you at the door anymore, right? You're like, of course I can come in here anytime I want. You're a sinner, you know? I'm a sinner. We're all, what? There's this idea, this is holy. And when they come back in, they have to be like, oh, we're home. We're back. We're back in community. We've been blessed with this gift of a child. Check this out. Now here was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel. That means that waiting was, he was expecting to receive it. And you'll find out why in a minute. He's waiting for the comfort of Israel to come. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's anointed, the Messiah. Moved by the same Spirit, Simeon went to the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus, when the parents brought the, to the, in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and began to praise God. Now I want to say something. Can you imagine, you, you, are you ever amazed by how God orchestrates things in your life? You know, like those crossroads. I don't doubt for a minute that God was withholding my firstborn son, right? Just so I would get it. You know what I'm saying? And, and the temple in Jerusalem, all these people are gathering. And in this moment, you finally walk in and you're going to do what you need to do for your baby. And some religious nut takes him out of your hands and starts to speak. You know, I mean, that's a little harsh, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you, okay, maybe we say that'd be a great thing. We'd be like, oh, look, he's carrying our baby around and saying things. I'd be like, give me my baby, you know? What are you doing? Simeon's been waiting for this moment to receive, to hold this anointed one from God. And he says this in the temple courts, Sovereign Lord, just as you have promised, you can now dismiss your servant in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation, which, which you have prepared in the sight of everyone, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, that's us, and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them both and said to Mary, Jesus' mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. 
There was also this prophetess named Anna. And Anna was a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old and she had lived with her husband seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 years old. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, always fasting and always praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, right, she gave thanks to God and began to speak about the child to everyone who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So here's this other lady, right? Anna comes up. Only time she's mentioned in the whole Bible, and she's a prophetess. And she comes up and she starts to say, look, look, as soon as Simeon's done, she's like, this is the kid, this is the kid, this is the kid, you know? When Joseph and Mary had finished doing everything required of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. By the way, that's charis, the grace, right? The charisma, this, this thing that God gives us that just draws people, right? Jesus was filled with it as he grew. The blessing of God was upon him. You know, the, I, the thing that, like, for me, I was thinking about this whole story is they never disconnected Mary and Joseph. While they didn't understand what was going on, they, they stored it in their hearts and they gave it to God. Like we sang a song today, we'll wait upon the Lord, we'll wait upon the Lord. But do we do that very well sometimes? Because we're like, this don't make any sense to me. And you get all frustrated. What's going on? I want some answers, you know? These treasures that God gives us, these divine revelations, I think, I think sometimes mothers see it more than fathers. Is that fair to say? I think dads get so busy rushing through life sometimes, you know, get up, get up. You know, I'm like the enforcer in my house, you know. I'm the one that's always like, you know, mom says it three times and I say it once, <laughs> you know. Uh, but, but moms seem to get this. They, they, I love that Mary is kind of just watching and thinking and waiting, you know? So that was Jesus as an infant. Now, this is the last story we get, and I, I gotta tell you, the, the reason I'm so intrigued is because I wish, I wish the Bible had recorded everything that Jesus went through as a child, because I tell you what, it'd be a lot easier to raise kids, wouldn't it? Because <laughs> I would just be able to say, Nathan, Jesus didn't do that, okay? You know? I think it'd be so much easier in a way if we had everything recorded. But Luke chose to record these few incidences, and I don't know what else was happening. I'll tell you what I have a tendency to think. I have a tendency to think that Jesus was the best baseball player on the team. You know? I have a tendency to think that when he's going to school and it's been raining all day, he walks over the puddle. <laughs> I don't know. You know. I mean, you think about it if you're on the opposite team, and, and, and uh, I, I don't know, you, you, you say something, he's just like, watch this, you know? I don't know. I always think that there's this idea that God, that, you know, because he was born the king. And I want him just to be this thing that's like, oh, all the time. You know? And as a parent, what do you think? It's the kid who sits at the breakfast table every morning, eats his breakfast, and his teeth like, bling, you know? Because if you've got kids, they don't ever brush their teeth. <laughs> and, you know, it, but now I got to tell you, Jesus was not the only child, right? As far as I read it, there, he had lots of siblings. And can you imagine that, you know? Well, if you were more like Jesus, we wouldn't have these problems, you know? It, one spot in the, in the Bible, it says, it calls um, James the less. Do you know that? James the less. It means the little one. That's Jesus' brother. So if you're writing the Bible, you're going to like, James, you know the little one. 
you know, I'm sure James had issues. How do those people come to faith, man? Seriously, right? If they can do it, we can do it, you know? Oh, your brother is going to save you. Oh, boy, you know? Um, but it's true. Moving, let's, let's read on now. So here we go. Every year, his parents, in verse 41, every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. That is to say that Jesus probably for the first time was allowed to go. This idea of being 12 was this idea of coming into your manhood. But it's sort of like you begin your apprenticeship, you know? I mean, we don't really have that in our culture right now. But this idea that when you're 12, you can kind of start to say, come on, son, come to work with me. Check this out. I'll show you what it's like to be a man. You don't have to hang around the house anymore, you know? He gets to go to Jerusalem to, uh, to worship with his parents at the feast of the Passover. He's 12 years old. And um, after the feast was over, it says in verse 43, while his parents were, still, were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware they left him behind. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for another day. Then they began to look for him among relatives and friends. They did not find him. They went back to Jerusalem to look for him there. Um, if you've ever lost a kid, this would be a great moment. Uh, I like how it's written here. I would love to know the details, you know. This, this, this trip to Jerusalem is a big trip, right? It's like, I don't know. A, a huge music festival or something. It's this huge thing. It's a big party, and it lasts a long time, right? And you go to this thing, and you travel, and you walk, and they were taught, you know, there's this idea that they were, they were, they were living off the land on their way. They're, they're re returning to their roots as people who are on the move and not settled. And they come in there, and they leave, and it's just, you know, you just think, somebody's got him, you know. Some, he's with somebody. And then you get there, and you make camp, and you start to look around. And you're like, have you seen Jesus? No. Have you seen him? No. Have you? No. Well, I can tell you, to two things, two confessions. First of all, I've left my kids somewhere before. Have you done that? It's, sometimes they haven't even known it. Sometimes they haven't even known it. One time I left Nathan at church, and I was like driving home, singing to God, you know, and all. I'm like, oh, oh, you know, drove back, you know. And then I go like, get in the car. What's wrong with you? You know? And I'm thinking, oh, God, why did I do that? Don't, you know, don't do that. Nathan's 12 years old. I want, some pra I want some practical, practical looks. 12-year-old boy, and he's behind in Jerusalem. He's going to come into his own for the first time. You take him on the first trip, and he, sticks, he stays behind, you know? And um, they travel back, what's it say? A day's journey, right? And they start to look for him in Jerusalem. Here we go. After three days... They found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at the understanding of his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. I want to stop right there. Well, let's, let's finish that thought. And I, right? His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. First of all, they, we went back a day, Okay. And then three days in Jerusalem, you know, can you imagine? When, when Mary says, son, we've been anxiously searching for you, it means we've been crushed, right? We've been dying to find you. I lost one of my kids in a mall one time. And the worst thing was I was holding their hand. And they go, I want to go around that way. And you know how they always kind of pull? I, I wanted one of those leashes. We never got one, the leash that ties your kid. Because they can pull away. And you turn around and there's people everywhere. 
and you're disoriented and you start to freak out, but you won't be that parent freaking out, you know? But after three days looking for this guy, you find him in the temple. I think it's funny that Joseph didn't say anything, right? Now, I don't want to read too much into that. <laughs> but let's just say he was a wise man because he's at church, right? And this is not the time to get into this. But they go back, and after three days, they say they were astonished. That means they were beside themselves. They were just baffled, right? And I don't think it was all because of his astonishing answers to the other teachers. I think they were just like, you've got to be kidding me. You're really here? You know, half, them, half of you got to be thinking, he's still somewhere else. He, he wouldn't have stayed behind by himself, right? They were beside themselves, and everyone was astonished with his answers that he gave. So this is Jesus' response. 12 years old. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. I bet they didn't, you know? Uh, if you're Joseph, how does this relationship work anyway? You know? Didn't you know I had to be in my dad's house? That's the same word, pater, daddy. Of course, I, where else am I going to be? You could have came straight here, you know? I'm 12. I'm learning the trade. Of course, I'd be here. I don't know how Joseph responds to that, you know. Um, but they clearly, it says, Luke says, they did not understand what Jesus was saying to them at that time. Here, right? God, you love it. Then he went down. Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Yeah, I'll bet, right? His mother, again, treasured up all these things in her heart. She just poured them in. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Stature is like coming into his own, you know? So I just think that this, I don't know, I wrote, I wrote my notes like, is that disobedience? Because it says honor your father and your mother, but what's Jesus to do? He's honoring his father, right? No one understands what's going on, and we can be hard on, on Mary and Joseph saying, why don't you get it? We get it. Well, guess what? It's in one chapter of our book, you know? I think what we lose on this is the time that's in between, and I want to say to you that if you've seen, if you've, something's been revealed to you as precious, you have these moments. Do you guys have the camcorder thing with your kids where you stick it like right in their face? And kids are like, you know, dad. I, you can't ever get it to me. You can't ever capture that holiness, that moment. And I would imagine that for Mary and Joseph, for all the times that they've, they, they, they've seen it and they've encountered it, they, they just kind of, you know, life gets in the way, you know? They forget. But Mary seems so wise to me that she just keeps putting it in her heart. I want to give you permission today. If you don't know what God's doing in your life, just store it up, you know? We have this, this instant gratification idea that we have to know right now what's going on. God has to give us all the answers right now. And I want to say if if that's not the case, can we just have a heart big enough to store it up and wait? Can we just wait and see what God's doing? I think she's a great example of that. I think it's interesting that, that between the ages of um, 12 and 30, when Jesus gets baptized, we don't really hear what Jesus did, you know? He was most probably learning Joseph's trade now, you know? We talk about where are our kids some, some people have a lot of pain because their kids aren't with them at worship. Their kids aren't, I don't know. 
I wish it was all in there. I wish it had every detail of every step. But you know what is in there? This idea that God's grace is enough to do it, you know? And that we can rest in that. We can have peace in that. Can you find peace in God? I just want to live there for a moment, you know? I want to return to Simeon. And we're going to close if Matt and everybody wants to come up. Um, Simeon, the first guy who comes up and takes the baby Jesus in the temple and starts to say these great things. And the first thing he does is he thanks God for it. You know, he says, thank God that you finally brought redemption to Israel. Comfort is here. Comfort is here, folks. You know what I'm saying? Like this baby that was just born that we've just talked about. He's waiting. And I don't know. I would even say that, you know, we're... Thinking about this, uh, Mary isn't exempt from having to wrestle with these things in her heart. It says in her heart, she was kind of pouring stuff in, and it was almost like adversarial sometimes. What's going on? Simeon told Mary that her soul would be pierced too. This is what I want to get to, church. If you find yourself confused by what God is doing, if you find your heart stirred up, just a mess, you can't make any sense out of it, take some, I don't know, some peace from the Bible today just to say that, you know, the very parents of Jesus couldn't put all this together, right? The very brothers of Jesus couldn't deal with this truth. And just live in that. God will fulfill his promises in you. I want to read what Simeon said to Mary He said, this child, this Jesus, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. That means some people are going to see Jesus and they're going to be like tripped up. And other people are going to, for the first time in their lives, they're going to stand and say, praise God, praise God. We're singing hallelujah, Yahweh. Maybe he be praised because he's revealed to us the Son of God. But for some, they're just going to trip and fall flat on their face. Simeon says, Jesus will be a sign and symbol that will be spoken against. And you know, we see this in his time, right? His contemporaries can't deal with it. I was reading last night about the Pharisees, and I know we're always on them, but you know, they were just done with this Jesus dude. And even after his death, they wanted to make sure he stayed in the grave. And you want to say, like, leave him alone. You know, he's dead. But they say, no, no. And you know what they're doing? Fulfilling prophecy. He's a sign to be spoken against. Didn't say everybody's going to love him. Didn't say everybody's going to agree with him. Last week we read where he said that uh, those will, there are those who will deny that I am king. And woe to them. But this is why. You know, why, why would Jesus be the guy that everybody's going to talk against, you know? This is what it says. Just listen to the words. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. If you find yourself running into Jesus and all this junk is coming out of your heart, all this angst or anger or frustration or whatever it is, that's what he's sent for. And I want you to listen today to what is stored in your heart. The book of James says what comes out of your mouth is an overflow of your heart. Do you, do you listen to yourself? Do you hear how you interact with others? 
Do you hear how you speak to your wife or your children? Do you listen for praise songs in the shower? He's all about working in your heart. He's all about stirring those things up and making the things that are not worth living for fall flat on their face. I what that means for you today, but I pray you are listening, listening to the stirrings of God in your heart. Now, one thing I want to say, the very last thing is this. We don't know how to do response here. We've been talking about this. How do you respond? I want to say very clearly, if you want to come down and pray with me, man, God be praised. I would love to pray with you. Not because I have anything holy or great to say, but I am on a journey with you. Do you feel that? And if you're journeying with us, you want to come talk to me about it, great. If you're on a journey, you want to talk to one of the leaders here at the church, great. But I want to say something even more than that. If you want to turn awkwardly to the neighbor next to you and just hold their hand and say, I got to let go of some things today. God has equipped them for that moment. And I invite you to do that. But for Jesus' sake, respond to God today.